Well, hello, 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 and welcome to I Developer Live, episode number 61, sponsored by our friends at Rem Objects and at Invasive Code. And with me should be in Amsterdam, or should I say Amsterdam, Mr. John Fox. Hello, world. Hello, Scotty. Hello, mystery guest. Mystery guest seems to not want to answer the question. Oh, sorry. I forgot. I, I didn't know that was my cue. Hello, John. Hello, Scotty. I think everybody now knows who the mystery guest is. They recognize those sexy tones anywhere. Please welcome to the show the one, the only, Mr. Danny Greg. Well, I can't possibly live up to that now, can I? <laughs> I don't matter what I've done, you've probably never lived up to it, so never mind. <laughs> okay. Um, welcome to everybody out there in. Um, uh, what's it called? Chat room land. That's the one I'm after. Chat room land. Uh, last week, the show uh, in its live format was, um, let's say, an abomination, maybe being slightly too friendly. Um, so hopefully this week out there, it's getting a little bit better. Please tell me in the chat room if the the, uh, the audio is okay and everything's going well. Um, and if it's not, then we will do our best to sort something out about it. Oh, right. News this week. Oh, the big mountain lion. It shipped. It shipped. Last week, you got it all installed, John? No, because my, my old machine won't run it. And until I get back to the States and get my new uh, MacBook Pro Retina Take 2, I can't run it. Wow. How old is your machine? It is it is effing old. <laughs> that's that's really quite old if you can't run Mountain Lion. Wow. It is. Uh, but that's why I call it Mountain Goat for that very reason, because I'm angry. <laughs> well, I have a whole bunch of machines lying around, and I think my oldest one lying around is a 2007 17 inch MacBook Pro and I think that one doesn't qualify it just about goes on I think my 2008 MacBook aluminum MacBook I've got hanging around is it just goes on but that's the oldest model it will so I'm expecting that one to sort Hmm. of go out of action you know next year when the uh when, when it upgrades so I mean yeah I I do like this about Apple though that they're prepared to say look we're not supporting old stuff yeah, no, it's good. It's great for us developers as well because it's much nicer running app, much nicer running apps on shiny hardware. Yeah, I'm still bitter that the shiny hardware had to be returned, but I will get over it. So, so John, are you are you going to still wait for the um, the second gen, or um, you going to? That is a good question. I thought that the second gen. Well, who knows when it's going to come out? That is a good question. I may have to just like break down and take a risk because I, I can't live anymore on this machine I'm on. I've already done it, extended it way beyond what I should have. Clearly. So, so are, are people yep. sort of um, making complaints still about the retinas having problems? Did you just have to get in a lemon, or you know, are, are they generally seen as a you know a first gen problem machine, or is it just one or well, two? I, I, I think it's maybe just one or two, but I've definitely seen people posting pictures of uh, bad screens. Yeah, there's not just that, is there? There's there's been the, a few comments about certain design flaws. Like, wasn't it Pogue the other day who was talking about how the, oh, the new MagSafe, MagSafe thing, yeah. is just yeah. awful? Um, but mine hasn't arrived yet, so I can't really judge. So you've bought, you've ordered <laughs> okay. one of you, Danny? Yeah, yeah, I ordered one a long, long time ago. Well, sort of through we have a thing with Apple Business, whatever they're called, and mine still hasn't arrived. Which is a little bit irritating, but there we go. All right, you said we, so we haven't introduced actually who you are yet. So go on, tell us a little about who you know who we is when you talk about we these days, Danny. Uh, that's a good point. I should be pimping, shouldn't I? Uh, I work for GitHub, uh, and we're a social code and kind of collaboration site. GitHub. Never heard of them. Have you? Have you, Scotty? No, no, GitHub? never, never heard of them at all. 
Huh. We, we actually now, I think it's official host more code than anyone else on the internet. And you can't see me, but I'm doing a fist pump. Okay, all right. Uh, so here's a question. <laughs> let's, let's, get, let's get on with this, this question and let's get into this. Okay, everybody has heard of GitHub. Well, I think, yeah, almost every. My mother may not have done, but other than my mother, everybody has heard of GitHub. Okay, GitHub is out there. Uh, people are using it, even if it's only the free service. They're using it. Um, you know, it's doing all that it's. You know, people seem to be liking it to do. I mean, people keep saying, "Could you add this feature or this feature?" But on the whole, it's providing a service people seem to want. Um, as far as I can understand, it's a profitable company. Why the heck do you need a hundred million dollars? <laughs> That's wow. an excellent question. Going, Go ahead. going straight for the jugular. Yeah, I mean, is it just to pay your salary or? <laughs> well, Defend. It's, it's to pay the legal bills involved, you know, with, with how you go to various countries and destroy them. <laughs> it, t- it turns out uh, buying everyone Retina MacBook Pros gets really expensive. Uh, no, it's uh, t- obviously, to be honest, I'm not really the person who can uh, best answer for that. You want to speak to someone like our CEO, Tom, but... Um, we've been talking about it for a very long time, at least since I, uh, at least since I joined, um, and it was more about the fact that uh, this deal was is very different to a lot of other standard kind of Silicon Valley funding, like very different. Um, and we were really looking for someone who can come in and, and give us a lot of advice and help us grow uh, beyond the stage we're at now. And Mark Andreessen is this freaking awesome guy and peter levine who's joined the board we actually pretty much offered him tried to offer him a job (laughs) so we wanted to hire these guys anyway and instead they wanted to give us money so it seemed like a a pretty good balance out and a hundred million dollars there's lots of things we could do with that hey okay (laughs) if there's anybody out there who'd like to give me a hundred million dollars to come and give me advice feel free (laughs) (laughs) I'm, i'm i'm open i'm open to this stuff (laughs) yeah it's funny actually that there's a lot of people there's some absolutely hilarious predictions as to what we're going to do with the money. Uh, I think I saw someone predict that we're going to try and genetically engineer a real octocat, which which would be amazing. <laughs> um, so it's it's interesting seeing people play the what a hundred million will buy guessing game. You you could purchase ten minutes of war, or you could structure <laughs> you know ten the the, the 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 external debt of let's say. 10 square kilometers of Greece. Yeah. Hopefully one that's like, you know, a portion of that has a nice beach. Man, I wouldn't mind a bit of Greece, actually. Hang on, that came out all wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, say that again. It's all right. We can, we, can, we can edit that into something really useful later on. Okay, oh, let's go back to Mountain Lion. Um, okay, there uh, been a whole bunch of bitching out there. Um, You've you been struck by any of it, John, or is it you just watched it go? In fact, John, you're still in Amsterdam, so you're working in the the, um, the co-working space. So, you know, maybe you've heard it from real or you just follow it on the interwebs like the rest of us. A whole, whole bunch of bitching about well, a whole bunch no, of stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the biggest problem I've had, uh, it, which is not me running, you know, not me do, doing it since I don't have it on my machine, but, you know, the uptake on Mountain Line has been very fast. And uh, f- for my consulting work, there was a bit of a panic when they were trying to run, you know, the build of, of, of software also doesn't run. And they had to, to, you know, track down the preference allows you to run nefarious software that hasn't been through, it hasn't been uh, run through, through Gatekeeper. So that was a little tricky thing. And, and that's that I think is the case if you're building custom apps that aren't going to be on the Mac App Store and, and, and you know, don't have entitlements, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So. I mean, is this, I mean, we always talk about quality and whatever else. I mean, 
and every OS release is going to have bugs. Um, uh, yeah, ten point eight point zero. I think you know the point zero is is important there. But it's, is this one that should have got through? Oh man, there've been some pretty pretty huge bugs in this GM. We we've been hit by one which is particularly nasty. Where depending on which version of Xcode you're building, uh, you may not just may not be able to access the keychain. So we had builds of GitHub for Mac out there, uh, which just could not access the keychain, and that was o- that only changed in the GM, uh, which is particularly outrageous. Um, there's there's been quite a few, especially to do with sandboxing and Gatekeeper, but you know it's it's the software world, I guess. You know people have deadlines, uh, at least other people do. So yeah, I mean, but it was interesting that the um, the shipping. Um, version was the same build number as the GM, which I know in theory it should be, but that means that obviously nothing had changed. So, um, yeah, if these were seen in the GM in the first place, I guess you know they had a few days left they could have changed things in. Especially, yeah, especially as now it. they don't have any reason to go to um, you know in the past the reason you know you had a GM Gold Master was because you then had to send it to be um, uh, fabricated onto DVD or CD. Um, or floppy, depending on how long ago we're talking. Or uh, tape. Or tape, yes. <laughs> or to get somebody to carry it around in card form. Well, it still take it still takes time for a bunch of toothless people in Western North Carolina to transfer the the, the data from key drives to the <laughs> to the, the hard disk in which their data center is running. Actually, yeah, someone from the uh, in the chat rooms just pointed out the the wake from sleep. Yeah, that has been particularly poor. Um, but that that was that was bad through the betas as well. Uh, at least I found the the, the keychain bugs were the only ones that that seemed to appear for the GM, and so it was very odd. Like, because didn't in Lion they had a GM two? Uh, yeah, I think they did. So they? they're clearly not averse to at least fixing horrible horrible bugs that they're about to ship in their major operating system release. But you know, I think uh, it's. I think the question will be is we should expect a point zero release of an OS to be buggy. Um, uh, the point is, how long is it going to take them to bring a point one out? Mm. Um, you know, if a point one is out in a few weeks and it fixes loads of stuff, everyone just says, yay, great. If it takes six months um, and we live with it, then everyone says, oh, that was a crappy version of, uh, you know, of OS 10. So it'd be interesting to see what, what they do. I mean, I did a brand, I did a clean install. Um, yeah, I have this thing. It's just a hangover. It's a disease from my time on Windows. That just now and again, I like to black my machine and reinstall it. Um, and yeah, I usually take the brand new OS is a good time to do that. So I just you know back up the partition, wipe it clean, do a fresh install, only reinstall the stuff I need as I need it. Copy the yeah. You know, I keep the data on. Um, uh, I partition my drive so the data is on a separate drive to the OS anyway. So. You know, that's not in danger um, so that I can do that sort of thing. And, um, you know, and as a user, forgetting the development stuff about the keychain and everything, yeah, it's it seems pretty smooth, actually. It, it's I've not really, there's nothing really um, caused me a lot of problems. Yeah, actually, I noticed through the beta, I thought it was one of the most solid new operating system releases I, I've actually seen. It's, it's only this, I, I guess I'm over over emphasizing buggy because i got hit by one bug which which happened in the in the oh how dare they ship one bug (laughs) yeah exactly um but yeah it's been pretty damn solid as as far as releases go and also let's not forget that i think apple are going to get put more and more uh 
on on point for shipping buggy OS releases because we're seeing huge uptake like never before. Like, what was it? Uh, Mountain Lion shipped three million copies in two days or something. I, I need to find it. Someone search on the internet and find yeah, it. Yeah, uh, It's huge uptake since uh, it's been since Lion and Mountain Lion have been on the App Store. Like, I have friends who now have Macs and have come up to me and said, "Hey, so I installed this Mountain Lion thing." That installed operating systems. This is something they never would have done before because it's just this big download that they click and it happens magically. Uh, and yes, actually, as someone has pointed out, this is the first uh, operating system solely built from with LLVM technologies, Clang and LLVM, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. So there's, there's scope out there for bugs. but LLVM is great. I mean, I, I, I love it. It does cause me a, a couple of problems here and there because um, I also do some Ruby stuff and some Rails stuff. Um, trying to uh, install Ruby when you've only got LLVM and not GCC um, on has some interesting side effects now and again uh they've fixed that though you get the the download the uh the command line tools and if to be honest if you're doing proper ruby development you've, you're re- using something like rbm for uh, rvm anyway so you're running no no it's when you in, when you go to install ruby or, or uh, yeah, through, through to- rvm or any of that what it what it tells you is um basically it gives you a lovely friendly message that um LLVM support is provisional and may not work. <laughs> yeah, that's about as yeah, much then, detail as you get. And then you seg fault everywhere when you run yeah. Ruby. But it, no, it, uh, it's. I mean, I've been. I mean, my Rails work and everything I do is is mainly internal. The stuff we do here at iDeveloper, um, you know, so it's it's not particularly hardcore stuff. It's you know maintaining the downloads yeah. systems for everybody and everything like that. So it's it's we we seem to be fine on Lion. Um, of course, you know, that means a re- reinstall takes a little while, but it means everything's, everything's, I just like it, that feeling that my machine is clean. And the first time I install something and it fails and it doesn't work and I have to stop backing things out and everything, I just feel dirty. But there we are. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So- it's, it's actually also worth noting, Andy, Andy W's put this up in the chat room, uh, Xcode. For me, since Mountain Lion and Xcode 4.4 or 4.5 has been so much more stable. Like, hilariously more stable. Like, because previously it would crash on me multiple times a day. It was like a thing. Actually, it would crash and restart it. We kind of got friendly like that. It was fine. Because now that just doesn't happen. If uh, an Xcode crash is a rarity, which it sounds hilarious, those words coming out of my mouth, because it's a crash of an application, which I'm depending on. But still, uh, it's nice that they're, they're starting to nail that down a bit. So the world will get better when all Apple software has to to, to have entitlements and, and run through Gatekeeper and, and be sellable in the App Store. Then then they will have have worked through all the problems that we've been suffering with. It will be very hard for me to talk about Gatekeeper without swearing. Yes, there, there was a comment though. I mean, okay, Apple can do what they like; it's their platform. But I mean, there was an update uh, when Mountain Lion came out. There was a number of updates to, to Apple software came out. One of which was iPhoto. Uh, which interestingly enough was a over a gigabyte download, so it wasn't using any of the sort of um, change only um, technology. And as someone pointed out, it still isn't sandboxed. So yeah, you know, I think you know that that caused a bit of frustration to people as well that anything they tried to update for Mountain Lion, if it wasn't sandboxed, they were going to get rejected. Um, whereas you know Apple is still chucking their non sandbox stuff out to people. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about sandboxing for a little bit because uh, GitHub for Mac right now is not sandboxed. And as it stands, it cannot possibly be sandboxed. And I've, uh, me and my colleague Josh spent a lot of time in the labs at WWDC talking to uh, the sandboxy engineers and trying to talk through with them the, the, 
the fact that our app is basically impossible to build uh, and get on the App Store, at least right now. Um, and there was a lot of things such as I, I have a big problem with these temporary entitlements because they just say, oh, yeah, you can just build this with a temporary entitlement. It'll be fine. It's like that does not sound like something I should be shipping, right? The yeah. idea of a temporary entitlement. Uh, okay, okay. Let, let, let's. I'm, I'm going to jump in there because it's All not right. temporary to you. It's temporary to Apple. Right. Well, th- well yes. Because so this is basically what, was, this what they're what saying. Here is a way of doing this for now, and we will provide you another way, a permanent way of doing the same thing later on. Ah, uh, they didn't guarantee the same no, that's, thing, though. That's maybe true. Well, okay, no, because, I mean, at the moment, they may be a little bit... You might have to apply for four entitlements to do the same thing that one does now. Right. But, but the, basically, I'd like them... Uh, there was talk, and I obviously shouldn't really say what I was told or whatever, but there was certainly hinting that those quote-unquote temporary entitlements, it might be a bit more permanent and a bit more like uh, there's a reviewing-type system of prove that your app needs this entitlement to do a normal thing and and there it is. As long as it's nicely XPC'd into nice little different processes, uh, that was one thing they really emphasised to us. Is if you can break up your application into lots and lots of different processes with their various entitlements, uh, and just use XPC or whatever to communicate between them, uh, then that's going to make your life much easier in the future, at least going forward. All right. So, so okay. Uh, this is a, a point then here, Danny, because some people out there may, you know, XPC. What you're talking about? Just give us. Yeah, you know, well, this isn't a show about XPC, but you know, the two second. Or no, that's a bit short. Thirty second overview. <laughs> it's it's short for cross process communication. It's a new technology uh, that Apple introduced in Lion, I believe, uh, to facilitate communication between two completely separate processes. And you can think of it as an API along the lines of Dispatch. Uh, as in uh, lib dispatch, not NS operation queue. That's quite high level. Uh, lib dispatch is low level. Same with XPC. So it's a C API to communicate between processes. That was very good, and that was only about fifteen seconds. <laughs> All right. Before we move on to the main the main segment of our show that we we're going to talk about, I want to pick anything else up about this mountain lion release, good or bad? Anyone in the chat room want us to talk about something about the mountain lion release? You guys have to answer first, by the way, John and Danny, because they've got about a 20-second delay. <laughs> uh, uh, I, you go, John. No, I, I, I think that I'm mountain lion out. Uh, I, I just think it's worth, it's, it is worth sort of uh, giving it a hats off to the fact that this is the fastest ever operating system ship Apple have had in terms of units downloaded. That's that's pretty impressive, and it does show that there's huge uptake in uh and not only the Mac, but the fact that people are beginning to actually download new operating systems. Like, the amount of people that would just previously only ever get a new operating system when they bought their new Mac, that's beginning to change now with the advent of the App Store and operating systems being on there. So it's very good news for us as developers. If you're developing for the Mac, more people on the, the latest releases are the better. That is definitely true. And it's it. I think at this point it's, it's doable to target uh, the latest minus one. Uh, release which previously I would have said it wasn't yeah I think you're probably right there I think latest minus one is going to become uh, I know it's very common in developer world to do latest minus two I think latest minus one is going to be really you know, quite acceptable sort of going forward from here and, and Andy wants everybody to know to do a complete backup before running the install <laughs> now maybe that means that he lost his world because yeah. he didn't do that and he's trying to spare <laughs> others the same pain he went through Andy is currently <laughs> currently joining us via terminal 
because <laughs> it's all he can get working at the moment. He's SSH'd into the chat room. <laughs> no, actually, that's a good point. He's saying because that will save him from to support his family and friends' issues when they, if they don't back it. But that, that's an interesting point, actually, because it's treated just as another um, uh, application download, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, are Apple doing anything special about recovering or not recovering? I mean, they, they, they've got the whole recovery hard disk system going on right. within Line and Mountain Line now, or is, is this really it screws up, you're screwed, Apple, Apple Store job? Well, no. well, what they do is they basically have everybody call Andy. <laughs> Andy is supporting all Mountain Lion problems. <laughs> no, you have a recovery partition, and that's that's basically their, their solution to this. And you've got Apple Stores, and it's got to the point now where with SSDs, you've got less... Uh, chance of uh, dropping your laptop and ruining your your hard drive, so it's more acceptable now to have your have a recovery partition on the same volume that's that your uh, boot it boot machine is or boot volume is. Well, see, I sort of, I sort of cheated with my clean install by doing a a crappy crash because um, obviously it's really hard to do a clean in when you've got your main. Um, uh, it, it, it's really hard to do a clean install onto the partition you're booting off of. Because it's got to boot in order to install Mountain Lion in the first place right. and whatever else. So basically, um, after I've done a backup, Andy, just so you're aware, <laughs> um, I ran the installer till it says it had done the files, and then I purposely crashed it by turning my machine off. And then I turned it back on, and it went into recovery mode. And at that point then, because it was now doing recovery mode via the recovery partition, I could then delete my main partition and install it on there. Crazy! Hey, live on the edge, man. I'm sure there's a better. <laughs> there's, I'm sure yeah. there's a better way of doing it, but that's the way I did it. <laughs> there's, it's also worth noting that there's crazy cool like internet recovery stuff now, isn't there? Like, doesn't it download stuff from the network if it's available? Man, I should probably research this stuff. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, I just it installed and gave me a back massage at the same time. That's all I know. Right. Excellent. Right. Okay. Before we move on, let's just uh, talk about uh, one of our sponsors. These guys have been with us since the very beginning, and it's uh, Rem Objects. Rem Objects. Rem Objects. Everybody loves Rem. Thank you, John. You're with me here. Okay. <laughs> they want us to. Um, Danny, you've just got to catch up, mate. <laughs> this is why we're the pros and you're the guest. Um, <laughs> I have no idea what I want to know. <laughs> Noted. Uh, Rem Objects, they uh, like to talk about Data Abstract, which is um, a framework for building database-driven applications using multi-tier data access model, a whole bunch of platforms. Um, basically, they would say, simply put, if your application deals with any kind of database access, you owe it to yourself to see if Data Abstract is the right solution for you. Um, I mean, we're not talking if you just want to use core data on a, um, uh, a single-user uh, based machine. We're talking here if you want to have anything that's being accessed by multiple users, maybe multiple locations, um, across the internet, across the network, whatever else. Um, Data Abstract is a tool that basically um, gives you a multi-tier or minimum of a three-tier uh, data access model. Um, you know, Especially across the internet, the old client server way of doing things where you have all your uh, SQL drivers and in your client and going straight back to it, you know, it just doesn't really work very well, especially across low bandwidth stuff. So about you know, putting that middle tier in and um, brokering your data and breaking it down. Yeah, that stuff sounds really simple. It just sounds like, oh, yeah, that shouldn't be too much. But you, you try writing this stuff for yourself. These guys have been doing this for at least 10 years now and have got 10 years worth of experience in this. Um, the data abstract for Xcode. Um, 
basically allows you to write data abstract clients using totally native Cocoa. This isn't, you know, sort of cross-platform Java or anything like that. Um, they've got something called Data Abstract SQL, which allows you to dynamically query um, just the data you need, so you don't have to bring everything back across across the internet, across the web. Um, and it's it works on Mac and iOS. And it's, in fact, it's exactly the same library. You don't even need to have two libraries. It's exactly the same library. Uh, they've written it that way. So you need to go to remobjects.com and check it out. Now, if you want to know a bit more, you can equally download Show 58, I Developer Life 58, where we uh, spoke to Mark Hoffman all about Data Abstract. And um, you can learn a bit more about it. So that's uh, our friends at RemObjects and their product, Data Abstract. Thank you for sponsoring the show. Right, it's time for the... Uh, the um, I'm going to do this again. Feature segment. (laughs) We'll use that one, John, and I'll try mine, and then we'll see which we like. Feature segment. Yeah, I think you win. I've I've just got that James Earl Jones voice, really, haven't I? (laughs) No. Okay. That's like Jimmy Earl Grey. (laughs) Jimmy Earl Grey. I have no idea who any of these people are. Just putting that out there. Oh, you must know who James Earl Jones was. Nope. The voice of Darth Vader. Ah, oh, that dude. <laughs> you don't. You do know who Darth Vader is. <laughs> I know is, who right? Darth Vader is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and and he had that type of voice that yeah you know, that was just you know it was a dark night. <laughs> <laughs> we should get him. We no, I said we can't get him to do anything. He's dead. But then <laughs> I'd be really really clever. His rates are quite cheap now though. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, this got dark pretty quickly. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Um, right. <laughs> what were we doing? Oh, yeah, Danny, we were talking to you. That's right. <laughs> um, basically, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, um, iOS Dev UK, uh, mm. you did a presentation on um, the workflow that uh, you have at GitHub. Um, and it was, you know, I, I, as users of Git and GitHub and developers, and you're right, I find it uh, quite an interesting um, session and thought we'd invite you on to... Um, give it a go so um, i guess where we're going to start um tell us a little bit about the setup at github you know so first of all so that yeah we get an understanding of the environment in which you're doing this workflow sure yeah it's um it's a bit different to many many other companies in that uh we are completely we, we like to use the word asynchronous and that we do everything in uh chat rooms emails but most specifically on github with pull requests issues and that kind of thing. There are no meetings. There's no nothing which depends on uh, two people being in the same place at the same time. Uh, it, all of this comes out of the thought that uh, you do your best productive work uh, whenever it, it's sort of really weird times as a programmer. Right? We've all been there and had had like a two a.m., three a.m. amazingly productive coding session. So the second you enforce a meeting where multiple people have to be in the same place at the same time, you're potentially disrupting someone who's quote unquote in the zone. Right? This is the theory. So if uh, everything is asynchronous, everything happens at the point that I can just get on with coding, and then when I'm up for when I'm uh, sort of available to have a break or whatever, I can look and see what's been going on. Uh, so there's this big kind of asynchronous workflow. Half of us are remote, uh, which means not like half of us aren't in the office, aren't in San Francisco. In fact, I think there's more now. I think it's more like 70-30 or remote, maybe. I don't know. Uh, so it's this big kind of shift in the uh, of thinking. And we have other, uh, I guess other people would say weird ideas, such as uh, there are no deadlines at GitHub. 
So uh, I did a lot of, I tried to figure out why I wasn't getting burnt out so much at GitHub. And a lot of this comes down to the fact that a lot of people associate shipping with this sort of built up sense of trepidation, fear, and sort of, uh, you just associate it with this incredibly stressful time where you're trying to cram to meet a deadline. Whereas we flip that on its head and there's no deadlines. We just really encourage shipping. Shipping is this thing that feels awesome at GitHub. I can't really describe how great it feels um, because have everyone, uh, everyone congratulates you. Uh, everyone's packing, patting you on the back saying you how awesome you are. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, so we just try and use the carrot rather than the stick uh, to just encourage shipping. And uh, as someone's just asked in the chat room, we do no, there's no enforced agile or scrum or uh, we do pair program, but that's kind of up to whoever's doing it. But there's no enforced system. It's literally whatever works best for you. Uh, and it, the whole point is, like I say, make sure everyone's in the zone as much as possible. And we're pretty much more productive than anyone I've known. Does that long waffly answer? <laughs> no, give a nice that, 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 it's fascinating. While while I'm listening to it, it it's I just find myself dreaming of, of, of an environment like that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it sounds almost impossibly Shangri La. Well, it basically comes from the fact that you know we're founded by programmers, uh, and it's a company driven by programmers, and we we're even making tools for programmers. So uh, we we like to think we know how we work, uh, programmers, and how to get the best out of us. Uh, and yeah, I I work probably more hours for GitHub than I ever have for anyone else. Uh, but they're in weird, weird times. It's whenever I'm feeling particularly creative or productive. Like we, we are well aware that you can have two hours, uh, two hours work when you're in an incredibly creative, productive mood will have a much better output than seven hours where you're being forced to sit down at your computer and work. And when you might not be in the mood. So there's there's no uh, holiday either. Like you can just take time off whenever you want. It, no one's really going to mind. You don't even have to tell anyone really. Uh, just a, just like as long as you're being productive, I guess. Uh, I've never really been in a position where someone's been like, you're taking too much time off. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've been known to have, you know, uh, write-offs of days where you just get up and you're not, nothing's quite clicking and just go out for a walk or whatever and, and let it happen <laughs> and then you sit down you come back and you hammer it out but yeah so then let me let me ask this there's no downside whatsoever to you know this this ship constantly if something's broken we'll just ship again I, that's another thing i didn't actually mention yeah we we ship constantly right we ship up to i think it's it's actually climbing when i started it was about 40 times a day it's now about 80 i think 70 80 times a day we ship live code to dot com um and I don't think there's really any downside. We obviously we occasionally have uh, there's bugs which get in, but we because it's a uh, that's for the web product. Uh, we ship that much. We can roll back. We roll out to you know a couple front ends and see how they go. Uh, it just it's just good. Like it it just keeps the whole momentum going. And we've found this with the Mac app as well. Like we ship kind of two, three, maybe four, five times a week. And yeah, it just it just goes really well. It just keeps the momentum going and keeps things iterating over. It's pretty nice. Okay, so the, I mean, you've just said you ship the Mac product two or three, four times a week. You're in, you're in the Mac App Store, aren't you? You talking shipping externally? Nope. Or, no, you're not. Okay, so it, nope. so basically, if um, basically people using um, the GitHub client, uh, Mac client, will get uh, there's a, an update, um, you know, appearing every you know every day, basically almost. Yeah, we um, we're pretty. 
I like to think our update system is one of the best in that we don't really uh, put it in front of the user's face. A lot of this comes out of uh, obviously a, a website kind of kind of thinking, and that in a web app you don't really know when it's updated, right? You just go there and you use it, and it's new. Uh, and maybe there's a blog post telling you there's some new features. That's kind of similar to how we work on the Mac app. Uh, you do get a little icon that appears in the toolbar that says that there's an update. Uh, think of how Chrome updates, right? Uh, but really, it's already updated. Just whenever you relaunch the app, you'll be running a new version. Uh, so it's a pretty seamless process for the user. There's nothing bugging them or, or annoying them or there's nothing they have to actively do to update. It just keeps it ticking over. Uh, and yeah, they're probably running... Pretty much every time you launch the Mac app, you're probably running new code. So hold on a second. It means that you don't use Sparkle. You you rolled your own update mechanism. Uh, it's built off a bit of both uh, Sparkle and our own code. Um, there's actually there's uh, an entirely new system which I've almost finished writing, which is almost no Sparkle altogether. Um, which we're starting to do things such as uh, depending on what your GitHub username is, we'll give you a different build. Uh, so, for example, if you're a GitHubber, we're going to give you a very different build of GitHub for Mac than you would if you're not employed by GitHub. Because uh, we obviously do that for the site right now. So we're starting to play around with these kind of ideas that are usually associated with web apps. Okay, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, you've talked about, oh, you deployed the website this time, you deployed... Uh the you're, you're writing a deployment system and you're working on the on the mac client so i mean it sounds like it's yeah okay yeah how does it define what you work on uh there's literally no definition as to what you work on at, at github uh, you work on whatever is interesting you find interesting because uh, there's something that we've found um is that someone who's passionate about a particular thing will be 20 times more productive doing that as opposed to someone who's being told to do it so that but that scales backwards i don't just mean in terms of are you a web developer are you a native app developer i mean to down to bug fix level or feature level if there's a one bug fix that you really want like there's a bug that's hitting you all the time obviously it helps that we dog food constantly we're constantly using github um but if there's that one bug which is really annoying you you're going to be way more motivated to fix that thing than anyone else in the company so that sort of defines what you work on. And we have a lot of cross-pollination, like a lot of our uh, Ruby guys will work on, uh, or some of our Ruby guys come and do iOS stuff and Mac stuff, and I've done some web stuff. It's it's a lot of fun. All right, well, then, as, as Andy asked, who is in charge of the asylum then at GitHub? <laughs> well, it's, it's basically, when you look at it, it's applied anarchy. <laughs> um, the... This is actually like a really hard question to answer. There is no real, there's no one in charge. There's no one who's going to sit there and say, we are working towards this. But um, the founders uh, give talks occasionally or they'll talk at Summit and they'll write up lists about the things that we're really trying to achieve. Uh, But if no one really wants to work on them or on particular things, they won't get done. But what you'll find is, is we uh, the the crowd kind of vote for the right issues, and that uh, we have this uh, entire internal ideas system. We call it ideas, where if you have an idea for a feature or a new product or a new this that or the other, you put it up on on ideas. It's uh, it goes out to everyone in the company. There's an iOS app. There's uh, a web a web app for it, and then basically it's just 
a markdown document and a comment thread. And the comment thread is where everyone else at the company gets to have their say as to what's going on. So what you'll find is popular issues quickly become uh, popular ideas, whether that uh, be anything, quickly become apparent. Uh, and what you do is you recruit your team, you recruit people that you want to work with uh, through those ideas. So if you have an idea that someone finds particularly awesome, they'll say, hell yeah, I want to work on that with you. And you start to form a team around that idea. And that also works things like issues, like our issue tracker. People looking through the issues, you'll see a whole bunch of comments uh, about popular issues. And what we're working on tends to bubble up like that. And so, uh, go ahead. No, no, it's it's fine, John. If you've got a question, go for it. Well, so I'm just uh, echoing what Andy asked, is that then, then competing plans... Yeah, you know, I mean, it sounds to me like the, this perfect, uh, super free market, and so you know, let the market decide, and and, and that's it. But it, it, at the end, ha, ha, in your experience, in those times you've been there, has anybody had to step in and arbitrate when something really was close, or the, the market forces didn't quite work? Uh, no, <laughs> it's it it. Uh, I'm stumbling over my words a lot because I appreciate how hard this is now to explain. <laughs> but for someone sitting on on the outside, it's. It seems so obvious to me on the inside, but it's kind of hard. It sounds silly now I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> but um, there's been, usually if no one really wants to compete for two similar plans, right? Uh, if someone has a better idea, we just talk about it. Like, And usually what happens is you end up working with that person. There's no, and there's absolutely no ego. And that's completely, that, that's basically the fundamental driving uh requirement at github is is you can't have any ego because if there's anyone who's there to make a name for themselves or uh wants to do this that or the other it it just tends to kind of fall down rapidly um so you need to be fairly ego free uh but that's pretty much how we talk we deal with competing or what we should work on we just talk about it Okay, so you're you're in this environment where you you, know, you might deploy the Mac app five or six times a week. You're seeing the website is being um, you know deployed up to thirty, forty times a day, um, and you know you have internal apps that are being you know deployed all the time. Um, so, are there a bunch of fixed processes by which this goes? I mean, if, if most of us we see the deployment is this big thing that we do all this work for, and whatever else now. You know, lots of us don't want to do that work forty times a day or whatever. So, yeah. I mean, I'm guessing there's some automation here, or is it, there must be there fixed processes, or you can just deploy however you like, or how does that work? Yeah. So, the one of the big things is if you're going to have a a, uh, a rapid kind of iteration model like we do, is you have to make deploying easy and not scary for people. Uh, we need to make sure that anyone in the company can deploy at any point. Because if anyone's ever scared to deploy, then they're never going to deploy. And then suddenly they're never going to have any of their code anywhere. So we actually have uh, Hubot, who some people may have heard of, who's our friendly chat room robot that we've written. Actually, he's a bit of a dick. But uh, we wrote this uh, chat room bot. It's uh, written in Node. And he just sits there in Campfire uh, as our little helper. Now, he does a lot of things, and that could be just handling uh, easy ways to Google image search stuff in the chat room or deal with memes. Uh, but critically, it handles uh, it's a front end to our entire deployment system. So obviously, our de- deployment system for .com is all very big and has a lot of complexities to it. 
And same with all of our internal iOS apps and uh, our Mac app. They all have different systems. But to us, it's all just one interface. And that's you just go Hubot deploy whatever. So if I was to deploy Mac, I just go Hubot deploy Mac to production and bam, there's an update for everyone. Uh, so And that's just in the chat room. So it becomes like a command line interface to our entire deployment system. And that's what you can see. Like if I was to bring up the, the chat room logs of .com, you would just see Hubot deploy, Hubot deploy, Hubot deploy an, an awful lot of times in a day. Okay, so I mean, so someone's obviously decided how it's going to be done in Hub, then coded around Hubot to make it all happen. Right. Yeah, yeah. So we have ops, uh, an ops team or guys that work on that, and they they build the entire the uh, deployment systems. Or like, you know, I've built a deployment system for product X. Uh, deployment systems are things that have to be written, but the idea is when you're using them, they're really easy easy to use. Okay, so basically, you're working on something. Um, you um, you you think it's ready? You just deploy it. Is that right? Yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. No reason not to. That's um that that that's scaring lots of project managers. Oh yeah. The hell out, <laughs> well, the hell out of well, here right the, now. That's the thing, right? We we have no project managers. Um, it's something that uh we're not against, but in our workflow, we've actually yet to find a need for a project manager. That uh, there seems to be no no real fit for them as to where they would come in, um, which is interesting. Uh, and it's it's funny because when a lot of people, uh, a lot of project managers request features for GitHub, we just turn around and say, well, why do you need that? And it's, and it's a lot of, uh, a lot of times they're just trying to justify their own job, which I find quite interesting. <laughs> hmm. So can we switch on something? I mean, I, I understand that, that you, know, you have this $100 million and you're basically saying... You have you have a an algorithm for for creative work, and you have a technology technology for managing multiple contributions with code. Right, and and so, but it seems that you could apply this for lots of different things. I mean, that that's what I've understood about it. So they could say that if you are, you know, I don't know, you know, doing some other endeavor that's not writing a piece of software, GitHub may be the the the, the place where you manage that. Is that and, and, and also manage manage the communication between people or manage the, the you know the, the, the change management uh, can you talk about that or is that too speculative on what github may be doing in the future? uh yes and no <laughs> and that uh, i i believe that uh, an awful well i believe that sounded far too religious uh, i think that there are many 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 uh applications for this process and uh <sighs> A lot of a lot of industry could currently use use uh, use our current tools, and in other industries we might have to build something to enable them to use it. Uh, but yeah, I think it applies to everyone. But I think like there's there's a bit of freaking out in the chat room, which I just want to address quickly. Uh, one, it's impossible to break the build and ship it because we have unit tests like you wouldn't believe, and it won't and Hubot won't let you deploy a broken build. Uh, and then it's also worth noting about. Uh, I think we should. I think we should talk about pull requests real quick, because okay. uh, this is pull requests are, are so critical to how all of this works together. Because basically, you we don't. How how can I start this off? So I've seen a lot of crazy branching schemes with Git. Right, there's things like Git flow out there. And there's like 15, you must maintain three branches and you have to branch this, that, and then this only merges to that one and this, the, the other one. 
And that's that. It just seems like uh, unnecessary work. All we do is we have a master branch, which is what we're deploying, right? And then we have, uh, and then whenever you want to do work, you never commit straight to master. You only ever do it in a new branch off master, right? So if I've got a feature I want to uh, build, I'm working on master. I, I branch off out of master onto a feature branch. I then write the code and then I submit a pull request. Now, pull requests uh, are basically the, the best feature of github.com, in my opinion. And what they are is they are obviously a diff, right? So there are differences between, you know, this is what I want you to pull into master in this case. Uh, so a chunk of code. And they're a description and a title, so I get to explain what's going on in the pull request. And then they are a comment thread, so you could so you can discuss them. And we have one kind of uh, enforced rule at GitHub, uh, it's, which is you don't merge your own pull request. So what happens is you end up having peer review, but this peer review are in a completely asynchronous manner. At no point did I have to drag two people in and have a you know, slightly passive-aggressive conversation about the code. All that happens is a bunch of people look at the code and have comment on it and comment on lines, and we keep all the comments around uh, whether, uh, no matter what happens to them, uh, to, if they're on particular lines of code for posterity's sake, and you can trace the entire an entire conversation. And we do this very early on. We get people talking about the code. And this is before it gets merged into master. And then what happens is you, you start this discussion, right? You talk about code and you have a much, much better uh, feature or bug fix by the end of that process. And then someone else, when they have decided, when sort of it's mutually decided it's ready to get merged, someone else hits the merge button and it's into master. And it's then probably very shortly afterwards deployed. So code, for our code to be deployed, not only does it have to pass a huge array of unit tests, but it has to be, it's going to have been peer-reviewed by not just one, but probably two, three, four people. So asynchronous pair programming. Yeah, basically. It's it's pretty, and this Andy is now asking, is there a person in charge of this? No, there's no one in charge. This is this is the point. Uh, basically, what you end up doing is, is uh, you end up looking at, uh, or you end up being interested in pull requests uh, of, of code that you are very familiar with. So, for example, I review every pull request uh, on the Mac app, and I review some pull requests in some of our iOS apps because I wrote some of that code, so I know what it's affecting better. Um, there's no sort of set rules, but that sort of tends to naturally happen. Uh, and so you end up with people who are actually relevant to the conversation chiming in. So, so the basic um, summary is you write some code, Someone else who has probably something related with that code approves it, and off it goes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's a nice simplified look at it. Yeah. Um, but there's there's other benefits of using pull requests, which is at any point you have an, a historical. I mean, these are completely persistent. Once they're merged, we keep all of this information around. So if like a year later, there's a conversation that springs up. Maybe there's a new employee who's saying, "Man, why do we do this? This is insane. Why does this particular line of code do this?" And then you can go, ah, man, I remember something about that. Oh, yeah, here it is. And then go to the exact pull request where there was someone who was talking about it and was explaining why they did what they did. So this this comes again with the asynchronicity. Like, it's persistent. And it, all of your code decisions are up there at any point and are searchable 
and can be found. Okay, so you've said uh, that um, continuous integration and uh, unit testing is a big part of why this system works for you. Um, I mean, unit testing, I, I guess, speaks for itself. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it's not compulsory to write unit tests, but everybody just does because they see the benefits. Um, but you know, tell us a little bit about how the, your continuous integration works. Sure. So uh, we have uh, a fairly a fairly trivial continuous integration setup, uh, which is interesting, actually, because I think not many people in the iOS and Mac world actually use continuous integration. I think, especially if you're someone listening, thinking, oh, what is what is that? You should definitely look at setting it up. Um, but, uh, yeah, essentially we have a Jenkins, or we have several Jenkins slaves at this point. Uh, Jenkins is a fantastic uh, continuous integration system with a, a whole load of plugins, a whole load of uh, extensibility. It's written in Java, but it's it's pretty awesome. It does mean it works everywhere. And we have several Jenkins slaves, and then we have something we built called Janky. Uh, and Janky is essentially a sort of a mid, midway, a sort of a communications layer between Campfire, or Hubot in our case, and Jenkins. So basically Janky allows us to have to kick off builds from Campfire or from Hubot and also have it report back to us. So if anyone ever breaks the build or every build that happens in our continuous integration system is put into the chat room. So you can see immediately whether it, it builds or, or fails, which is pretty cool. Uh, it means like if someone breaks the build, it's big red characters and everyone can shout at them. <laughs> okay. I mean, you, uh, Simon Wolf, everybody say hello to Simon Wolf today. <laughs> <laughs> in the chat room um, he's asking how many developers do you have working on this system oh actually yeah because he says he can see this working in a small company uh, but <coughs> so this is an interesting thing we, we get this a lot um, which is uh, we, we heard we used to hear oh it will it works for 20 employees but it'll never work for 30 it'll never work beyond 50 it'll never work for 100 where I think we're at 110 I'm going to frantically go to github.com slash about. Uh, but yeah, we have over 100, 107, 107 people at the moment. And if you remember fairly recently, Valve, who if you don't know who they are, is uh, the, they're a, a video game company. They have a thousand people working on a, in a similar workflow. But actually, Chris has brought up a good a good quote. So Zach Holman is one of my colleagues who's done a lot of blog posts, etc., about this. And he he says, if is this workflow going to work for us when we're 500 employees? Likely not, but core values and ideas last. And that's probably quite true. In that, and one of the main things that we try and we try and sort of imprint on on uh, on ourselves is that we are only trying to do what works best for us. We're not trying to champion the system when it starts failing. Like if it gets to the point where we need a manager, when it's going to make sense to have a manager, we're going to get we're going to hire one. If it's going to, you know, if it's going to get to the point where we need to have in-person meetings, then we'll start having them. Um, but for us right now, that just doesn't make sense. Um, so we we don't. <laughs> So, so wait, how do you fire somebody? You just you know modify the website to remove their name from the about page and do a pull request and see who, see who is willing to merge it? Or you know, I'd be curious about that. That would be actually a hilarious way of doing it. Uh, it's it's happened a, a few times. Oh, well, a couple times. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just a conversation. 
just like anyone else. Uh, I'd rather talk about our hiring process. <laughs> okay. All right, yes. Well, that, that would be a good thing. How, how is it that, that they managed to hire you? That's what we'd all like to know. Me? Uh, no, of course. Of course, they were, were, were dying to have you. <laughs> no comment. But our hiring process is interesting in that anyone could kind of hire anyone at GitHub. Uh, but we're trying to... It's At this point, we're changing it into a more of a... Actually, this is a re- great example of our workflow changing. It used to be that pretty much anyone could would kind of hire anyone or try to, and then our founders would sort of approve it. And now we have this entire setup where we have a guy whose sole job is to help us hire people and onboard them or sort of introduce them into the company. And so now we have this process by which um, we uh, recommend people to him. Uh, He sets up interviews. And then we have what we kind of call lovingly the gauntlet where, you know, if you want to be hired by GitHub, you have to come in uh, for a couple of days with us in the office and you talk to pretty much all of us. Well, all of us. You talk to a number of us. Uh, you code with some of us. And everyone at GitHub has to give you a thumbs up, basically. Uh, any thumbs down, and we pro- we likely won't hire you. Um, and it comes down to the a core part of this, which is this workflow and the way we work isn't for everyone. Uh, it may be that you could be the greatest developer in the world, but you possibly aren't going to fit in super well with how we work. And so you won't be right for the company. And so hiring is a really core part of what we do, because especially when you're allowing everyone to uh, to sort of you know deploy everyone, or do anything, this, that, and the other, uh, you want to make sure that everyone's kind of up to up to a decent standard. This sounds harsh. That's not what I'm trying to say. But everyone's uh, going in the same direction. Everyone has the same ideas. Man, that sounds like Big Brother. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Everybody is at least minimally awesome. Mm. That's a great way to put it. We we have a term in that we we say you know they're a hubber, right? They're they're a GitHubber. Um, it it's kind of it's it's obvious when you see it. It's kind of thing. So tell me, did you volunteer to be a hoodie model? <laughs> uh, no, actually, Cameron. I was in the office and Cameron came over to me with a camera and said, "Danny, do you want to model a hoodie?" And I said yes, sheepishly. Hmm. There we are. Uh, I mean, I can see how this system would work for lots of people. I, yeah, I said I don't necessarily think you could probably work roll out a you know financial system maybe this way or an air traffic control system, uh, but maybe you could. I don't know. Um, that's where a crash has a different meaning. Um, <laughs> no, but I just I like the openness, and it'll be interesting to see if when GitHub reaches. 400 employees if it gets that far you know even though as you say the systems might change does that ethos last can can you keep it as the company grows will be an interesting um uh, dynamic to watch yeah it is it is going to be interesting uh and i think i think as long as we we're still um flexible in how we work and we don't, uh, uh, for example, uh, Andy just said, I think you'll struggle working with clients like this. Well, yeah, we would, uh, but we don't work with clients. We're a product company and we're probably always going to be a product company. And I think that's the, the main thing is this is how we work and we're not on some crusade to tell people this is how they should work. Uh, but it's more, uh, we, we get a lot of attention for giving sort of talks about the subject or whatever, because I think it's interesting I think we sort of challenge a lot of natural assumptions that people 
make. Uh, I think a lot of people just assume that, you know, face-to-face meetings are the way to do things. And, and that, for me right now, is I, I will get... I've been asked to do conference calls a couple of times and I find it kind of irritating because it takes me out of uh, what I'm doing. Um, and I will certainly seek to uh, work this way forever, quote-unquote, you know. This is this is certainly a, a way which I... I am really, uh, definitely, uh, it suits me really well. So Andy in the chat room has just said it's agile, but it's just time diffed and code diffed, as well as code diffed. Uh, That's quite, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with agile, to be honest. I just don't like the idea of, of any kind of a system where you, you sort of enforce how people work. I don't know, because that's, that's the kind of cool thing. I guess we're doing that. I don't know. But the cool thing about us is you can work whenever, wherever, doing anything. Like, it, it doesn't matter. I'm sure it isn't agile the one with meetings and stuff. Uh, it depends which version you're using. Um, things like Scrum has the Scrum, I think, but I'm not very familiar yeah. with Scrum. Um, uh, I, I think um, XP, which I have operated in, uh, the main requirement there is the the client. Um, yeah, this is designed to work inside companies producing in-house software. Yeah, the client lives and works with the development team, they work in the same space so they can constantly exchange ideas. If that's a meeting, that's a meeting, I guess. Um, hmm. uh, but, it, you know, that's what you're doing in a way. I mean, you're doing it now remotely, um, but, you know, it's a constant exchange of ideas is the point as opposed sure. to meeting once a month and, you know, saying, oh, no, yeah. I didn't mean that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I know it's, it's just worth noting that we never set out to create a workflow. All that happened is GitHub was originally three people in coffee shops as in their spare time. And we basically still have that workflow because we've never needed to change it. <laughs> you know, we, we developed how we worked as these, that's sort of just sort of working wherever. And, and now it's just sort of, it seems to have scaled really well. Um, I've never certainly seen a company that sort of puts out the amount of code that we do. Um, so it, it seems to be working all right. Great. Do we have any more questions in the chat room? Or, John, you got any more questions on that? No. I mean, I, I could go on, but it, it, it has actually been fascinating just because just while listening, it, it, it is painting this picture in my head that uh, I've enjoyed thinking about it. And, and, and I think I, I want to echo what somebody else said. It's great to see that, that this type of uh, you know, mechanism that, that, that emphasizes the happiness of the individual, meaning that if you, if, 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 we understand that you can be better in two hours every two days. And if that's what it takes to, to, to get good code and good results, you know, that everybody's cool with that, you know, would all the world look work like this all the time? It, it's worth actually, I'm just going to jump on the fact that you said the happiness in the individual, uh, because you, uh, we actually have a saying that I, I believe our CEO Tom coined, which is optimized for happiness. And this is actually one principle, which, which we do have at the core of the company, which is we optimize for the happiness of our employees rather than uh, for profit, even though we're doing all right in that as well. Uh, so uh, the, the, he did a really good talk. If you Google optimize for happiness, it's there. Um, but yeah, it, it's basically, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. We, we will always take uh, or consider stuff from the point of view of happiness in the employee rather than profit if it comes in terms of like vacation time or wow i just said vacation i am turning american or you know or new laptops or, or whatever 
And I think that's something that a, a lot of companies could could definitely take away from. Okay, so let's just pick up on a couple of other things we haven't finished here. Firstly, um, we won't bother with Chris Walters' um, statement in the chat room that what happens when the <laughs> when the investors do a pull request to remove the founders. Uh, he did point out that was a joke, by the way. Um, but okay, something that um, you did raise in your talk at iOS Dev UK is you know you called it the elephant in the room. Um, yeah, is, you know this 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 system would struggle quite a lot or the deployment side of the system would struggle quite a lot with the app store absolutely uh this is a system that is not uh been designed well we're talking specifically about the deployment part of this play the collaboration still all applies uh but the deployment stuff and specifically the iteration like uh one thing i haven't mentioned yet was i'm quite keen to completely kill version numbers um, there are now no longer any version numbers in GitHub for Mac. Uh, we just like to iterate. Um, we have version names instead and other stuff. But uh, that does not go well with the App Store. Uh, there are ways around it. So I, I would, you would, I would talk about, uh, especially with iOS, you'd deploy to test flight. So you'd be deploying to test users, and I'd probably do the same on the Mac. You just deploy. You still deploy iteratively, but you just deploy to a subset of users which you control. And then when you you're ready, you kind of you can channel that into the app store. Uh, but you know this is designed in a free world, uh, <laughs> the wonders of the web. So it it isn't gonna isn't gonna work beautifully with the app store. But the collaboration stuff and how we actually work still completely applies. Yeah, I mean, for for your testing purposes and everything, you know, deploying a new build three or four times a day or four or five times a week, that sounds, you know, um, perfectly feasible. Sure, absolutely. And I, I don't see any uh, reason not to. Okay, uh, that's been great. I think I've managed to capture all the links during um, <laughs> during that, so they should all be in the show notes. Um, Good. Just before we move on, we just want to... Uh, um, pick up on our second sponsor. Uh, so thank you, Danny, for, for that. Please hang around with us and just uh, comment and uh, contribute to the rest of the show. Yeah, sure. Um, not that we could get rid of if we wanted to. There we are. Um, uh, okay. We just want to thank our second sponsor today, uh, Invasive Code. They've been with us a long time as well. Uh, they do iOS uh, training. Um what do they say on their website? They say, deep and quick understanding of the iOS SDK in their intensive iPhone iPad development training course. Yeah, that, that's the uh, that's the ad bit. Basically, five-day class, more than 40 hours, providing you with a deep, quick understanding of the SDK. Uh, basic to advanced topics are covered. You can get a whole list on the website of what those topics are rather than list them all out here. Um, the training includes seven hours of lectures per day plus a couple of hours in the labs in the evening where you can catch up with the samples, just talk to the trainers casually because they'll be there as well and make sure you understood everything in the day. And that goes on for the five days, as I said. You get all the training material, the exercises, copy of the slides using the class. They provide you with breakfast and lunch and coffee at coffee breaks. Um, and as I've always said each week, the great thing about this training course is no more than 10 people. You know, that's the absolute maximum that they're going to put on it is 10 people. Um, so you're not going to turn up there and get 40 people in the room, never get the trainer's attention. Um, you know, it's, you know, it, it, it's maximum of 10 people, maybe even less. Um, you do need some experience of an object oriented programming language of some form to take the course, but I think that's reasonable, uh, to go. Um, so where are we looking? Uh, September 17th in Barcelona in Spain. Um, or October 1st in 
sunny San Francisco or foggy San Francisco or rainy San Francisco, whichever it happens to be that day. So, Danny, if you want to brush up your iOS skills, you know where to go. Uh, <laughs> okay, so it's €2,800 Euros or $2,900. Uh, $2, um but you can get a couple hundred dollars or a couple of hundred euros off um, if when you inquire about information or try and book you place, you just say, everybody loves Invasive Code in your email. I want to thank Invasive Code for um, sponsoring us yet again. They've been great friends of the show, and we wish them every success with producing new iPhone and iOS developers. Ah, right, right. A couple of corrections, first of all. James Earl Jones is alive. And he's pissed that you, <laughs> and, that you and, tried and to say that he's, he's dead. And he's his, coming his, to kick his your ass. His family are really fed up that I killed him off about 30 minutes ago. <laughs> so, James, I'm going to send you a coupon code for a free course. <laughs> what, more, what more can I do? It's just, that, that's that's what my heart tells me I need to do. So, James, James, I do apologize. <laughs> Man, I've I've just been corrected, by the way. I just jumped back into my company chat room. And uh, one of my colleagues, Justin, has just been giving me uh, some crap for saying I review every pull request on the Mac, which he's been very quick to point out that I've missed a few. So there, I've got to correct myself. You do that, Danny. <laughs> you do do that, Danny. Uh, we have to put everything through the Danny filter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should not even go there. So, um, John, what have you been doing in Amsterdam this week? You've been coding, you've been socializing, you've been you know just drinking Belgian beer. I did a, bu- a bit of both. No, no, no. I've, I, this is I will I will make this claim that when you do optimize for your personal happiness, you are far more productive in work. So I, I've been able to do you know everything that I've needed to do with my own projects and with my client projects. I gave what what I think was actually a good talk, a very good talk uh, last week in the the. the Wednesday weekly lunch section uh, series. It was recorded. The slides are, are, are going to be made available, so I'm hoping it will get edited into something nice. And, and it was along these themes about you know how do you how do you how do you have an enjoyable career? Well, it starts with having a, a, a building a structure for an enjoyable, happy life. Um, and I am I am quite proud of it. And, and I got a number of, of, of people saying how much they enjoyed it. So that made me extremely happy to, to share this and, and have it have some impact. Um, and I, I went to Berlin for the weekend, and that was fascinating. Absolutely oh, right. Fascinating. Okay, so you went to Berlin. Did you meet the family there or just go by yourself? No, I just went by myself. I met uh, colleagues of mine that I've known for, for a number of years, both of which said, come to Berlin, come to Berlin, come to Berlin. Finally, I knew it. So you're becoming quite the European traveler. You're, you're very, very strange for an American. Uh, maybe. Maybe for, yeah, for, for, for many Americans. Yes. yes. But, um, yeah. You've got a big enough country to travel in your own right before you bother with us minnow countries. Right. Okay, yeah. it's, uh, it's, I'm glad to hear that you're still enjoying life in Europe, John. We're going to miss you when you go. It's nice having you on the same, same time zone. Um, I'm happy yeah. to be here, so I will have to figure out a way to scam my way, come back. Well, yeah. we'll find a way. Right, um, we released a new course this afternoon. Um, just a short course yeah. on um, an introduction to blocks and Objective C. We just thought we'd produce a um, a new type of course in a new format on a smaller, concise subject, and just see what people thought about it. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm sure many many of our listeners are already happily using blocks, and um, you know, it, it's of no interest to them at all. But equally, you know, if if blocks are one of those things, I've been around for a while now since iOS four and um, ten point six. But it's it's one of those things that sometimes people look at and think, oh, that just looks a bit complex. I'll leave that alone. But so it's just a really forty five minutes gets you up and running. 
gives you everything you need to know, saves you having to draw the docs and work it out and work out the gotchas. Um, so if you haven't looked at blocks yet, or you looked at blocks before and got confused or whatever, yeah, go check it out. An introduction to blocks and Objective C. It's on the uh, iDeveloper TV website. Um, Nineteen dollars, I think we put it up as. So um, yeah, go and have a look. Who was the star of this? Me, uh, me. This I did one. By I did. <laughs> I did one myself. Um, now, so you you prepared the cappuccino, wrote the show notes, gave the presentation, edited it, and Dave for once got to sit back and and kind of you know. Well, we made it. We made it for several reasons. Firstly, we wanted to try the new format, and um, so do go check it out. There is a preview on the website, so you can see the format um, in there. Obviously, it's a little bit different because it's just got me in this one. Um, But we did. We've 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 invested in a whole bunch of new um, video equipment here to do more of a TV broadcast type um, setup with live editing, and really, um, we need to get really familiar with the equipment. So we also use it as an opportunity to. you know, for for Dave to engineer with the equipment and get used to it and um, monitor it and do multi-camera switches and all this stuff while we're recording. And um, we're going to do a few more um, while we do that. And uh, so it was, it was all lots of new toys to play with. I'm currently sat in the studio here and I've got just about enough space for me and a laptop on the desk because now all Dave's new shiny equipment is sat around me. Nice. Also, just one... Well, Scotty. So I just want to remind people also, NS Conference Mini, 17th of September. Go check it out on the website, www.ideveloper.tv slash nsconference. You can see it. Developer versus designer. Go and read the session descriptions. It's going to be a great day. Um, still got some places, so just uh, go and book up. Now you want. Now you can talk to me, John. I was just saying that it sounded like it's time to... Uh bring this show to a point. It is. So let's start by getting Danny's personal details. Wow. I didn't realise you'd asked me for my number, Scotty. Um, I'm a desperate man, Danny. I'm a desperate man. <laughs> I mean, I just killed James Earl Jones. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. you can find me on Twitter, Danny Gregg. Uh, and I've got a website, dannygregg.com, which is not really a website. And uh, yeah, github.com. Go there, host code there, and stuffs. I can see why they put you in the marketing department. That's great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just stick with the code, Danny. <laughs> yeah. John. Well, my name is John Fox. You can follow me on Twitter as Jembe, D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. My product is Memory Miner, which you can read all about at memoryminer.com. I blog every now and then at memoryminer.com slash blog. That's how it's done, Mr. Greg. That that was pretty smooth. It's almost like you've done that before, John. Uh, at least 61 times. <laughs> but is there anything else I should be pimping? Like, I'm now trying to think. Well, your hoodies. How can we get a Danny Boy hoodie? Ah, uh, yeah, shop.github.com. Okay. There's, some, there's some stuff there, including a, a picture of an incredibly dashing young man. Wearing a hoodie, and, and you, and how do you how do you win a date with 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 dinner and and full poll request uh, with a uh, hundred million dollars? Oh, okay. it all becomes clear. So really, that's what it is. <laughs> so that that is the question: is what unspeakable acts are you going to be required to perform? On I'm going to move this show on. I'm going to move this show on before I have to put an explicit tag on there. Oh dear, dear. okay. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Um, my name is Scotty. And uh, I am your host here at iDeveloper Live, and I run iDeveloper TV. And you can follow all our news about courses and podcasts and everything on Twitter by following iDeveloper TV. You can follow my witterings in Waffle by following MacDevNet. And that's about it. 
It's been great having you all around to listen in. Thank you, Chatroom. Chatroom, you've been really active today. Andy W., you are a megastar. The amount of questions you've asked today, we should be giving you a job. But we're not... We're... Are we sure that Andy W. isn't really just DG? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. Daddy, you are awesome. That's, that's, that's what it says. Andy W., please type that in the chat room now just to prove it. No. Do you know what? I'm filling time while I'm trying to find the music. <laughs> because we need oh, but, to, oh, but at the least music is started. I don't want to start it yet. See, I'm going wrong here. <laughs> this is all your fault, Danny. It was all going so well. And it started again. There we are. Anyway, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, and with this slick professional production... <laughs> say thank you very much for listening to Ida Vepra Live, episode 61. Thank you to Rem Objects and Invasive Code for sponsoring the show. Thank you, John, for joining us once again and making the show as special as it is. And thank you, Danny, for being an awesome guest. Until next time, everybody, you take care. Thank you.